and we're live. <laughs> Let's play this track. Yes, my 20s finger, like, <laughs> it is the 20s. I was going to say, you were over here, jam you always, that hand is always like. It's going. That's my, <laughs> that's my intro dance. <laughs> oh, man. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Horror Host Support Group podcast, a podcast and also book club for horror fanatics. I am one half of the Horror Host Support Group, a sexy scribe. With the wild hair today, they call Amanda, and I am joined by my partner in horror, the lovely, sipping on bubbly, wishing hey. it was the 1920s. <laughs> oh, look at me. I know. Bars. First of all, bars. Bars. <laughs> and I'm happy with it being 2020s, because 1920s would be not fun for women who are also not white and also not men. 1920-ish mm. but I guess it was a good year people have fun somewhere juke joints somewhere right? Somewhere. but um, today we are here to talk about horror as usual like you thought I was going to say something else no we're here to talk about horror more specifically to talk about The Black Guy Dies First mm -hmm. by Robin Means I'm just saying Robin Means that's a long ass name and uh, I believe it's Mark Harris he yep. also wrote the book with Dear Robin, as well as um, this article by w Ma uh, from W Magazine talking about, um, I guess, like elevated horror, where horror has come from and where it yeah. is now. That's at least that's what they tried to do. I'm ad living because I, I don't think we even got that much. But yeah, that's what we're here to talk about. <laughs> Yes, uh, I was reading the article like, go on, girl, give us nothing. Absolutely that's exactly nothing. the way I was reading the article. But that's not the way I read the book. So no. let's start on the positive and yeah. let's start with a book. Um, first off, I'm going to say I give this five Blackulas. I really enjoyed it. I think it was a great comprehensive history of Black people, of our role in horror cinema covering tropes, covering, you know, which Black actor has died the most in horror fi films, which I thought was really funny. Yeah. And all of the, you know, all of the ins and outs. So what do you think, Samara? What's your rating for him? So I ended up giving it um, four Blackulas in the end. I kept, I pretty much, it, it was a steady four. Uh, I agree with you. It, there were some funny anecdotes. I especially did enjoy the awards, the little awards show going on in the book for um, Black actors who died the most. Um, also, the listings of how many Black actors have been, like, not, not necessarily Black actors, but how many horror movies these Black actors have been in. Tony Todd, obviously, I believe he was the winner for, show, for just showing up mm -hmm. the most in horror movies. And coincidentally, I believe he died the most in horror movies, but it kind of makes sense. If you're in them more and you're a black guy who dies first, then you're going to die more. Yeah. Um, but they did keep it to just horror because I feel like Samuel L. Jackson was just one as a black man who died in horror, who, as a black man who died in movies the most period. Cause that, I think there's like something in his contract where they're just like, we're going to kill you. So 
just be prepared for that. Get into it. <laughs> right. Right. Like, like you are the sacrifice. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed, especially enjoyed the, the headings of different sections and the breakdown of different um, tropes as far as um, black characters and like how they fit into horror throughout hell since the beginning of horror films to now. So yeah, I super duper enjoyed it, especially the one titled the Ooga Booga. Like <laughs> I'm using that for everything now. Yeah, I I love that too. You know, we've had a conversation on the pod a couple of times about tropes that we hate. And so I love that this did a deep dive into that, especially as you said, the Ooga Booga well magical black character who people go to for their mysticism uh -huh. <clears throat> always they end up getting killed though even in the charmed reboot which is supposed to be more progressive and shit they ended up having a you know voodoo practitioner of course woman who they were asking questions and got killed so yeah those ones the sacrificial, the sacrificial Negro popped up, which is our favorite, not favorite, <laughs> um, as well as um, the gangsta, which is something mm -hmm. I mentioned before, like that popped up. And I'm like, this is nice to know that we are not the only ones who notice this shit. Right. <laughs> Didn't they also talk about the, the comedic relief one mm -hmm. as well, which I think I think that's another, you know, if we're talking about tropes we hate. I would say I hate both of those archetypes as well because, again, it does kind of put us in the box as either we've got to be super funny to be to last or we have to, you know, um, we're, we're the gangster. We're the we, we have to be worth something. We have to bring something to the table each and every time. Whereas little Susie Q over here gets to trip her way through life. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, anyone? You know, just as for me, it's like Julie James and Helen Shivers. Like, Julie James just got to fuck around and be the final girl and mm -hmm. didn't do much. Wasn't particularly smart, cunning, just got lucky, honestly. I feel like that's why, as a sidebar, she's not really on too many people's, like, top list of final girls. Yeah. I could see why. I could see why, for sure. Meanwhile, if a black <clears throat> woman wants to be a final girl, shoot, she gotta be basically MacGyver out here. Okay. Showing my age with that reference, by the way, but MacGyver. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sanaa Lathan's character in Alien vs. Predator. Mm -hmm. Jada Pinkett Smith and Demon Knight. Yeah. Yep, mm -hmm. she gotta know. She's gotta know how to survive. And I'm like, oh, why can't we all be Julie James's? <laughs> just, <laughs> just strip our way through life here. Um, which also, I'm not a big fan of that that horror franchise either. To be no, honest, me it was it was all right. We thought we thought it was gonna be great, but it's not. I mean, I I think that that's one of the things that this book did really well was explore all of these things that like in the history too, like uh, nightmare before was it nightmare? No. Night of the living dead. Why did I go nightmare? Yeah, it's a night nightmare before Christmas or nightmare on Elm street. 
because we were talking about Nightmare on Elm Street before. Yes, we were. Um, Yeah, I love that it goes through history. So if y'all haven't read this book, I guess a brief synopsis of The Black Eye Dies First is essentially goes through the history of horror cinema, as the subtitle says, from fodder to Oscar. But it explores the roles that Black people have had in cinema from jump. So, you know, from back in the 40s until now, um, talking about the smaller roles that we played, the bigger roles, whatever, you know, what it is when we actually are both in front and behind the, the camera. And then talking about the different tropes, different prominent Black actors who have been mm-hmm. in horror. Um, and the kind, of, kind of that they yeah. get. Yeah. And I was going to say it even kind of touches on the political landscape mm-hmm. at the time that these movies were being made and how it influenced um, the tropes that Black people played and characters they played in these horror films, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um I'm not going to hold you. You can probably get most of this in um, uh, Horror Noir. Mm-hmm. This is a good companion, though. Yeah. Honestly, I think it's a good companion to that documentary. But it's nothing new. Like, if you are a horror fan and you know about this type of stuff, you know about Black horror, um, you won't be learning anything new. But it's still entertaining nonetheless. I think it's a good read. And it solidifies what we already know to be true. Yeah, and I, I think I, I liked the section on black exploitation as well. Yes. But yeah, to your point, it is, it's a good companion piece. It's good if you're somebody who would prefer to read the book, if you want to have a book for reference versus watching a documentary. I will say, I definitely think the audiobook is is part of why I enjoyed this so much, mm-hmm. because the book is funny, but listening to somebody, you know, narrate, the funniness of this book yeah. was really yeah. great. I don't know who the narrator was. I can't remember his name, but he delivered, he delivered, period. Like he did a really good job. He had the right pacing. When things were funny, he delivered the jokes really well. Um, I I didn't read it at all. I was going to, but I ended up just listening to it because I just enjoyed the narration so much. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right. So... I don't know. I don't know what else to to say about this. Yeah. Well, well, how many blacklists did you get it? Give it five. Five. Okay. Cool. Cool. I um. Yeah. There's not much to. I mean, it's not a long book for one. It's like six chapters. Mm-hmm. Granted, the chapters are longer than normal chapters, but it's not a very long book. Um, if you are new to horror, black horror in particular, pick it up great read explains things very well holds your hand basically through it all uh, you will not be confused and there are some great like um well just I was I was gonna say name drop but not name drop just some great wrecks in there like there are movies yeah. I haven't seen before or haven't seen in a long time and I'm like oh shoot let me go watch this and I, I found myself like writing down things as mm-hmm. I went as I went through the um, book so yeah. Yeah, there's some pretty cool wrecks in there that I plan on going ahead and checking out. A lot of them are old. It's going to be really hard to find them. Like Ganja and Hess. Yeah. It's actually kind of hard to find. <laughs> that's um, that's one of the ones I've been wanting to, yeah. to watch too. 
Yeah, so I will say it's a great directory for, like, if you don't know what you want to watch tonight, go listen to that book and find yourself a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, I love, it feels like such a celebration of of us and the things that we've dealt with um, in horror cinema. I feel like I learned a lot, even more than... Again, as a companion piece to the Horror Noir documentary, which if you haven't seen it, I need y'all to put pause on this episode, go watch the documentary, it's on mm -hmm. Shudder, and then come back, because that documentary is everything. Um, it's so good. So Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, and, and I'm also one of those people who <coughs> need the, uh, books like this to show mm -hmm. me where we've come from and where we are now because yeah when you like if you're just sitting there thinking about it, it's like man we haven't done anything new everything's the same but as I was going through this book I was like shit we really have come far mm -hmm. from being like the comic relief all the time or the one who spooked all the time and just like really weird Amos and Andy style um to being the director producer behind the camera and um being the actor in front and being the hero, uh, being the one who gets out, haha, <laughs> no, but <laughs> and being the final girl. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I liked how just especially when he was speaking about, I think is it the new the remake of the um, Night of the Living Dead movie? I'm not exactly sure, mm -hmm. but how he was basically talking about. Exchanging one like progressive move for another. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how the original, <clears throat> I think his name is Dwayne Jones. He was the actor who played Ben in the original movie and he made it out alive. He's the only one that didn't get bitten, but he was killed. Spoiler for that like 50 something year old movie. Yeah, <laughs> you, you don't even have to pay to show that shit anymore. Like, the rights are just not there. <laughs> right. But so, you know, he he dies in the end, but essentially he's the one that survives all of the fuck shit from this apocalypse. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think in the remake, which I think Tony Todd is in, mm -hmm. he dies, but I think there's a final girl. Okay, yes. And yeah. how it was talking about how... Um, exchanging one okay you have you know a black man dying but then you have a woman being the one to save the day unlike a lot mm -hmm. of other horror movies where up until that point women were just mm -hmm. i mean they did the same thing not not necessarily the same thing with like the the race swap deal but um in the remake of evil dead um instead of you know it being a man who survives uh it was actually a woman and so I was like, mm hmm. The black girl still died, though. That part. <laughs> I didn't really like the remake, but it's cool. I don't know. You know, there's like not a ton of actors that I'm like, <laughs> I, I want to see that, that I would, that I'm like, I don't think they should be replaced by anybody else for this character. Mm -hmm. But I feel like Bruce Campbell is Ash. Like, right. I, just, I don't know. I have not seen to date anybody else that could accurately do that character justice aside from him. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to have my mind changed. But at the moment, I just didn't. The remake to me just didn't give. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the remake. Um, I'm, I don't know. I just I just love Evil Dead. So I was like, I'm going to like this no matter what. Um, and I actually like the the girl who who's who lives. Um, Jane. I think her name's like Jane Levy or something like that. I can't remember her name. I think that is her name. Uh, I actually like her as an actress. <laughs> so I was like, okay, homegirl's alive. Uh, but once again, like I said, black girl died gruesomely, like everybody else. But I was like, mm. oh, and the and the <laughs> the girlfriend uh, was homegirl from freaking Vampire Diaries. Um, she was one of the heretics. You probably, if you look back, she was the one that was in love with Stefan. We always bring this shit back to Vampire Diaries, swear to God. But oh she, was, God. she was a heretic that was Stefan's first. Right. So she was the girlfriend in that movie. And I remember I had rewatched it and was like, is that so-and-so? Hmm. Hmm, Why does this different. shit always come back to Vampire Diaries for us? Everybody who's ever been in Vampire Diaries acts in everything. Swear to God. Well, at that time, sure, yeah. yeah. The mid-aughts, yeah. yeah. The girl who played Rose was in The Boy. Right, but she's also in Walking Dead. Yep. So, everybody. Everybody's everywhere. Everybody. <laughs> it, comes, it always comes back to Vampire Diaries. I can't help it. Obsession. Um, But I yeah, I want to rewatch it you time you do vampire diaries <laughs> i don't know i, I i'm never not rewatching it though like it's it's on my rotation i could li- i could just listen to it and know exactly what's happening listen i'm gonna say it in this particular episode okay and mm-hmm. if you're listening to us if you're tuning in now and you'd be into it we you know we've been talking about bonus content we've been talking about other content we've been Mm -hmm. talking about a patreon all of these different things for the pod one particular idea could be reviewing these shows that we just keep gabbing about such as vampire diaries so i'm saying it on this episode right here if you all would be into us reviewing the vampire diaries Mm -hmm. one episode at a time let us know I would never be mad at that. Hit us up. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on... Mm-hmm. You, can, you can find the info in the description below. I love it. I, I have exactly two comfort shows in my life. One is Vampire Diaries. And number two is Heart of Dixie. Don't ask me why. But I really want to live in Bluebell, Alabama. I know it don't exist, but I want to live there. That's, <laughs> this is some eye-opening info for you. <laughs> oh... You know, my comfort shows are, at present, Buffy and RuPaul's Drag Race. Okay. Since we're on this topic, and this is a horror podcast, what is, what rather, what are your comfort horror movies? Because I feel like everyone has them, at least one. <clears throat> Tremors. Because okay. I fully did watch that the other night, and Reba's wild little 80s bang situation. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> okay so trimmers mm-hmm. um i would have to say probably uh insidious okay um i think i really let's see what's another like go-to horror that i'm like 
Mm -hmm. uh, for some reason, I think Scream 3, just because it's like so ridiculous. Yes. It's not a good movie. It's so ridiculous, though. But, but it's it so fun. It's a fun <laughs> horror film, you know? Yes. Um, I'm going to go with two more. We'll do top okay. five. Okay, go for it. My other one I'm going to say is... Shit. Um, I'm going to go with Tales from the Hood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really enjoy that one. And then my other one, I'm going to go... Gonjiam Haunted Asylum. Okay. Okay, yeah. I haven't seen that one yet. I still need to watch it. Shutter Baby. So good. I need to watch it. So I guess, and I have Shutter. So I have AMC Plus, aka Shutter. They put all the stuff on there. So my top five, since you upped the ante, dang. Um, I'm going to say uh, Night of the Demons, 1988. Mm -hmm. um, Demon Knight. Mm-hmm. Love Demon Knight. Love everything about it. Love Billy Zane, especially. Um, Halloween 4. Yes, specifically Halloween 4. So that's three. Uh, I'm going to say Scream 1. I am always watching Scream, the first one. It's been forever since. I, I mean, when I marathoned all of the Screams in preparation for Scream 6, I was like, I forgot all this shit. Because I never watch any of the other ones. Just the first one. Because it's mine special uh and then last but not least mm, i'm gonna have to say people under the stairs mm. solid roster those are my jams solid roster but i used to used to love fright night like the original fright night oh my god yes I used to, like, I was a kid watching Fright Night and um, Once Bitten. Yeah. <laughs> Once those. Bitten, oh yeah, my god. I loved vampire anything. I was always watching vampire stuff, um, especially Fright Night. The music was my shit. It was just so 80s. <laughs> I yo, I love Fright Night, but that's the thing. You couldn't tell anybody nowadays that there was that... <laughs> There was a deadly vampire named Jerry. <laughs> Jerry Dandridge. Like, I just can't. I loved him. He was a handsome man he back was, then. He, yes. Also, great voice. Man. Voice of yep. Jack Skellington. So. Yep, yep. That used to scare me. It was very much like, yo, there's a vampire who lives next door. <laughs> Good luck. Like, what the vampire named jerry we love to see it but charlie was a little shit i'll always say that <sighs> yeah the girlfriend had more sense but she, she really did poor thing <laughs> don't that happen sometimes it's always more like than that. sometimes but yeah um so <clears throat> speaking of comfort uh this is not comfortable this dumb ass w magazine uh article Ooh, what a nice segue and i'm transition <laughs> Okay, y'all. So um, this this article, I stumbled upon this article on the Twitter the other day. It's called "The Year Horror Went Highbrow." Okay, and it's essentially doing that thing that happened at the beginning of Scream Five, which if you've seen it, then you know this whole idea of elevated horror, where movies by A twenty four, Ari Aster are you know jordan peele also 
are these super highbrow, high concept message horror films. And part of what makes them um, worthy of being taken seriously is that they specifically have a message. They deal with, you know, the human condition, what have you. And so that's why they are worth being taken seriously versus movies like Halloween or The Conjuring or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, why watch those when you can watch X or Pearl or Get Out kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that these aren't horror movies. They are horror. They They are horrific. Hereditary still gets me every time I watch it. Really? I watched it the I watched it like not too long ago and I was mm-hmm. still just the dread. Like I knew I know everything that's coming, but it's a mm-hmm. movie just the dread of it all that gets me. I'm the it, only one who watched that movie and was like, okay. <laughs> unimpressed. Was mm-hmm. it Midsommar for you? It was okay too. See, yeah. That's, that's the thing. So hereditary was objectively good i think it's an objectively good film i just wasn't scared like, everyone else was like oh my god it was so scary and i was just like it's not scary to me i'm just watching this family fall apart i couldn't turn on basketball wise well <laughs> like <laughs> but but yes but i will say tony collette's uh you know listen you little shit monologue is iconic Mm-hmm. One of my favorite moments in modern hit so horror cinema. You know what I mean? Also, yeah. Also, I didn't expect them to show what happened to the daughter. Yeah. I was like, ooh, but that was about it. Yeah. So the article's saying how basically now horror is popping off. Now mm. horror is popular. And the ones that the horror movies that get remembered are ones with a message. She does reference Rosemary's Baby and Mm -hmm. The Exorcist, but, Mm -hmm. you know, basically says that if your movie has a message, it'll get remembered. Nobody's going to remember those horror films about a, you know, topless sorority sister running through and getting stabbed. I do. (laughs) (laughs) And so picking apart this first statement, because there are other things, but Mm -hmm. what did you think when you kind of read that conclusion because it's not a completely wrong statement to say that horror is a genre that is not always taken seriously by Mm -hmm. mainstream audiences yeah but that's not horror's fault honestly Mm -hmm. also um reading the article it just strikes me as someone that isn't really into horror and if they do watch it it's usually a24 film like there's like the the horror that was listed was very like it fits into that specific kind of silo like the the slow heavy on the commentary like heavy on the visuals meanings like um that movie what was the movie mother do you remember that mm-hmm. that movie mm-hmm. was it was different it was very different. I remember watching it. Like some people got it, some people didn't. I'm one of the people who did not get it and I had to go to Wikipedia because I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> but like it seems that this seems like that person will watch that and mm-hmm. kind of shits on um the work that the hard work that other creators have made. Like they are the ones who are the pioneers of horror. So without 
the horror without the big boobed, you know, blonde bimbo, we wouldn't have scream, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, without the black guy dying in every film, we wouldn't have get out, you know, stuff like that. So I just don't think it's fair. These are definitely yeah. memorable because they keep coming up even in the so-called elevated horror that we see today. I agree. And I think it's also a matter of, um, like slasher films, which mm -hmm. is generally kind of the film, the film that she directly referenced are typically seen by a lot of people as lower brow. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that a lot of these slasher films that started coming out in the eighties, you have to think about the time that these films are coming out. You have a litany of these horror films coming out in the eighties. It's full of teenagers doing sex, drugs, rock and roll kind of mm -hmm. shit amid what's happening in our real life of Reagan being in office, a push towards more conservative values, mm -hmm. um, the satanic panic. I would say also a pushback towards like second wave feminism. And so then you have these movies that are, but also there's, there's the AIDS epidemic as well but there's a push towards more diversity. There are more like popular artists, black artists in the charts. Mm -hmm. There's more popular like, you know, um, LGBTQ artists, all of these different mm -hmm. things are happening at the same time. And so what you have is you have this group of teens subverting what their parents are telling them they're supposed to be doing, right? They're they're having sex, they're drinking, they're drugging, they're living their lives, they're carousing. A lot of times maybe there's a diverse group of them. Right. Perhaps the women are more assertive. And then you have the final girl who is supposed to be the antithesis of all of these things that these people mm -hmm. are doing. And she survives for a reason. Right. Because she's supposed to be the shining example of what we as women or them presenting people are supposed mm -hmm. to be. Right, virginal, you know? <laughs> but sexy, but doesn't want sex. Right, doesn't do drugs. Well, mm -hmm. well groomed, well spoken. Exactly, and then you have the killer, who is very, very much often an examination of white male rage in a society, in a society that's becoming more diverse, mm -hmm. that's becoming more feminist, that's becoming more like sexually diverse as well in terms of having lgbtq plus people being more prominent and so you don't have the white cishet male being the center of political socioeconomic discourse majority and his position is going away from being the the head of things to essentially being seen as only the oppressor and so the serial killer kind of tends to be that analogy and mm -hmm. the fact that She's not, I feel you think that you can engage with any kind of work critically. And the fact that she chose not to engage with these works critically and is only probably parroting what she has read from other people right. who don't engage with these things critically, who see these works as schlock is mm -hmm. telling. Right. That, that was a whole rant. I'm sorry. No, 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 totally. Like, <laughs> I'm going to bring up a film I recently watched and I feel like they were trying too hard to make it elevated 
and this is like a prime example of like where this shit can go wrong and that is skinamarink mm. everybody and their mom were talking about that movie <laughs> skinamarink i didn't even finish it i was bored i was like okay what are we what are we doing here like mm-hmm. there was a message i'm sure that it was it had the whole slow like the slow movement the 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 weird little whispered conversations the like it was just the dark lighting the setting like all that stuff right like obviously there's a message here but i didn't get it and i fell asleep <laughs> while whilst receiving that supposed message but I feel like somebody was like, I want to make something different, something more elevated. And it was just like, crap. I don't. Yeah. It just fell flat. Yeah. Did not like it. Uh, some people really were like, it, it made me afraid. I'm afraid to turn the lights off. Oh, my God. I was so scary. And there are other people who are like, that shit was dumb. I want my money back. Like. In the words of Amanda, they should have left that shit in the drafts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, nobody. I don't know. Very polarizing. I just want to see what the people who liked it saw. Like, I want to see that. I want to understand why and how. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, just to quote this article, it says, in cinema history, the horror films that have become classics have reflected society's anxieties and traumas. Mm-hmm. Rosemary's Baby and The Shining turned the picture-perfect American family on itself. The Exorcist tapped into a primal fear that innocence could turn diabolical. A Nightmare on Elm Street made us afraid of sleep, the very thing that's supposed to soothe us. The eerie villain of the Babadook embodies the darkness of grief, anxiety, and depression. CD flicks featuring sorority sisters who ignore the getaway car with the key and the ignition in favor of the shed full of chainsaws get forgotten. Stories that hold a mirror to our times tend to stick around. I just feel like she contradicted herself mm-hmm. in that because you're over here naming A Nightmare on Elm Street when The Nightmare on Elm Street has also one of the seediest chase scenes <laughs> in the cinema where the chick with the the white dress who mm-hmm. is specifically brutalized after having had sex with her boyfriend. Right. And her scene is very graphic. So you're over here finding the message in Nightmare on Elm Street and how it made us afraid to fall asleep. But what about Halloween? What mm-hmm. about prom night? What about all of these different, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, Friday the 13th. That's a movie that's basically saying like, Hey, if you don't, if you don't mind your kids, look what could happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think the other issue I took with this is, that it specifically talks about how, you know, to to quote the article again, from the 1980s until recently, movies featuring a murderous doll, a ghostly presence, or a creepy mm-hmm. neighbor with a taste for revenge had been mostly relegated to the realm of C-list actors, ham-fisted dialogue, and predictable plots. Now the genre is a cultural force to be reckoned with. So she states this, and then talk like brings it back to talk about the movies that are memorable including nightmare on elm street which is a movie made in the 80s mm-hmm. so are they memorable movies made in the 80s or are they not memorable are they c-list or are they not mm-hmm. C-list? 
And to be fair, a lot of these new elevated horror films are definitely also like chalk filled with C-list actors, like people we or actors we never even heard of before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't think that's a fair comparison. I don't think it is either. And I think if you just are looking at the people who have been in horror movies from the 80s until, she says, recently. So mm-hmm. even, let's say, till the mid-aughts. Let's say till 2015, right? Right. You know, you've got Jack Nicholson, who's in The Shining. You've got um, Matthew McConaughey and Renee, mm-hmm. Renee Zellweger, who were in mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw. And maybe they weren't super famous at that time, but they're not C-list anymore. Definitely not. You know, you have movies coming out in the 90s where you have um, Anthony Hopkins in the shi- in uh, Silence of the Lambs winning an Oscar. You have Jada Pinkett Smith in Demonite and Scream. You have Drew fucking Barrymore mm-hmm. from a literal dynasty of actors in Hollywood in Scream. And she's the first one who dies. <laughs> you know, you... you you have in, if you were talking, right, Insidious, you have Patrick mm-hmm. Bolton, who's a name. You have Vera Farmiga. You've got all of these other people. And it's just, it, to me, feels like somebody who, if you're, I just feel like if you're going to write about a genre, you should probably know the genre. If you're going to write right. about it, if you're going to write write the genre itself, you should know about it. You should know about these tropes in order to subvert them. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like, the article could have been celebrating Mm -hmm. all of these great horror movies that you referenced without juxtaposing this whole um, horror that's about this is bad horror. That's this is good message. Mm -hmm. Horrors are good. The other stuff doesn't get remembered because clearly it's remembered. We're still watching this shit. We're still talking about it. It's 2023. We're still talking did, about it. Did they not just make a whole Chucky TV show? I love Chucky. <laughs> I love Chucky too, and the TV show's great. Did they not? Did they not just do that? Because I swear mm-hmm. they did that. Did they? Are they not rebooting some of these? Did they not? Did the Halloween franchise not just come to an end? Right. With a with an actress who comes from two extremely famous Halloween are, you know, actors who just won an Academy Award. Rightly or wrongly, she just won the Academy Award. She just won, right. So, yeah, she was wrong. Whoever whoever wrote this W Magazine article, wrong. Just dead wrong. Loud and wrong at that. Well, she's getting cooked in the comments. Um, (laughs) On Twitter? On Twitter. I haven't seen anywhere (laughs) else, but I did see where she posted the article on Twitter and she's getting cooked in the comments, so... God dang, I need to see this it's nice little does. thread. <laughs> just just because I'm nosy, I need to see for my for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean that's all I have to really say about that. I mean, one blackula for the <laughs> for the magazine article, <laughs> right? One, yeah, one blackula. I do, you know. Again, she did give like interview some good people. She interviewed Robin. Robin Arm, you know, means Coleman, who we just referenced. She did mm-hmm. interview her, and that's great. But I just feel like do she could have gone 
with a little more research and perhaps not gone with the year horror went highbrow and gone with this angle of now horror's got a message in his highbrow and perhaps explored why so many people are getting into horror and yeah. how being in a fucking pandemic is probably why a lot of people <laughs> are or, or maybe even going even deeper and realizing that we've always had highbrow horror mm -hmm. it might have been more subtle but horror has always mirrored real life in some way mm -hmm. uh shape or form so could have did that one <laughs> yeah i mean because it's it's under the speculative fiction umbrella and that genre by its very definition explores what is in our society. I'm talking because I also just did a whole ass video about <laughs> speculative fiction and about the claim that fantasy is just for an escape mm -hmm. and also talking about horror as an escape as well. So mm -hmm. this also like seeing this article set something off, you know, not us rewriting a little bit, <laughs> not us rewriting this woman's article. <laughs> you know yeah like if i you know if i was gonna do some kind of article like this i would i would talk about how spot i would try to research and find if there is some kind of correlation between mm -hmm. the type of films that are popular in times of political upheaval or whatever or just if horror is more popular during these times anyway like mm -hmm. why would why were slashers so popular in the 80s right why were you know satanic demonic movies popular in the 70s why were goat why was ghost shit and haunted house shit popular in the early aughts mm -hmm. that would have been a better article because then you could have also weaved that through line of highbrow and like high highbrow horror now you know like yeah huh horror with message gotta love it that's all I got for today. <laughs> Listen, this is a quick and dirty, efficient, fast, you know, uh, episode, but whole, it's also a bit of a bitch track. So. Yeah, <laughs> always, always. Okay, so I guess we can wrap it up. Um, yeah. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Horror Host Support Group podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter under Horror Host Support Group, host spelled H-E-A-U-X. And you can follow us on TikTok, same name, Horror Host Support Group. You can find us. Um, and if you want to join our book club, just click the link in the description on our Insta and you're there. You can find Amanda and learn all about her work on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube under the name Amanda the Author Ross, D spelled with two E's, and on Twitter at Amanda the Author with just one E. You can find me, Samara, on the same platforms under the name Samara Reads 2, except for YouTube. And don't forget to check out my indie book box at fifthhousecollective.com and we will talk to you guys next week bye bye let me go ahead and play us out this outro